Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Organizing tech workers, the people in charge, the intersection of civil rights and labor rights. And today on the show, we check in with the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers and Labor's Economist on MLK's Dream and Legacy. Welcome to the Monday, January 16th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have a total of three guests on the show today. The uh, The first two are going to be on a conference call out of Washington. And I'm talking about Matthew Biggs, who's president of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, along with his secretary treasurer, Gay Henson. Now, this is a union of about 90,000 highly skilled members, many with advanced degrees. Now, it may not be the largest union in the United States, but it's certainly very diverse and very interesting. They represent NASA rocket scientists, immigration judges, social security judges, They represent folks in the Government Accountability Office, Congressional Research Service, lots of folks connected to the military who are civilian engineers and technical workers at naval shipyards. They've also been growing their ranks in the nonprofit sector, like the Economic Policy Institute, the Center for American Progress, the ACLU, and uh, one in particular, the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Now, you would think it would be kind of easy to organize in the Animal Legal Defense Fund, but apparently they hired a union-busting law firm to break the union. It's amazing what the union busters do today. So we're going to talk about all of that and more with uh, Matt and Gay. Matt Biggs and his secretary treasurer, Gay Henson, both were uh, elected in the 60th Constitutional Convention, which was held in uh, August of 2021. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, William Spriggs, who's been on the show a couple of times. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. Bill is a, a graduate of Williams College in Massachusetts. He holds a doctorate in economics from the University of Wisconsin in Madison, He uh, served as senior fellow and economist at the Economic Policy Institute, professor, former chair of the Department of Economics at Howard University. He's been working as chief economist with the AFL-CIO, chairs the Economic Policy Working Group. He also worked in the Labor Department from uh, 2009 to 2012. He served as assistant secretary for the Office of Policy in the Department of Labor, appointed by uh, President Barack Obama at the time. Like I said, he's been on the show a number of times, and I just thought it would be appropriate since this is the day we celebrate the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Why not bring somebody that has a very distinctive history in looking back into the 1960s and talk about what Dr. King preached? Nonviolence, nonviolence. He's going to zero in on that. We're also going to bring up 
some of those speeches and talk about the intersection of labor rights and human rights. It's so important that we realize what Dr. King stood for. I think the best way to frame this is to take you back to the day before Dr. King was assassinated and what he told those striking sanitation workers, especially what he said about the dignity of work. Let's listen. You are demanding that this city will respect the dignity of labor. So often we overlook the work and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs, of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has worth. All labor has dignity. But you are doing another thing. You are reminding not only Memphis, but you are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. And you are demonstrating that we are all tied in a single garment of destiny and that if one black person suffers, if one black person is down, we are all down. Again, Dr. King, before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, let me give you a little background on what happened there. On the 1st of February, this is a couple months before the assassination, two Memphis garbage collectors, Echol Cole and Robert Walker, were crushed to death by a malfunctioning truck. Well, 11 days later, frustrated by the city's response to the latest event in a long pattern of neglect and abuse of black employees, about 1,300 black men from the Memphis Department of Public Works went on strike. The sanitation workers, led by garbage collector turned union organizer T.O. Jones and supported by the president of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, better known as ASME, they demanded recognition of their union. Well, they had a problem with the mayor. The mayor was Henry Loeb, and he didn't like unions, and he refused to take the dilapidated trucks out of service He also refused to pay overtime when men were forced to work late night shifts. Turns out the the workers earned wages so low that many were on welfare and hundreds relied on food stamps to feed their families. Then a couple of weeks later, about 700 men attended a union meeting and unanimously decided to strike. Well, within a week, 
The local branch of the NAACP passed a resolution supporting the strike. The strike might have ended in the middle of February when the city council, pressured by a sit-in of sanitation workers and their supporters, voted to recognize the union and recommended a wage increase. Well, the mayor, Mayor Loeb, said no. He rejected the vote and insisted that only he had the authority to recognize the union, and he refused to do so. Well, it just got worse from there. Bottom line, this galvanized the black community. It just went on, and Memphis city officials estimated that 22,000 students eventually skipped school to participate in demonstrations. That's when Dr. King came in, spoke to the sanitation workers the night before he died. Well, long story short, after King's assassination, they realized they went a little too far, and the President of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, charged the Undersecretary of Labor, James Reynolds, with negotiating a solution and ending the strike about two months later. That's a snapshot of what happened in Memphis, Tennessee, on the day that we commemorate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with the International Federation of Professional and Technical Employees. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union in there. And if you like a show, please share that show. We count all the downloads and sponsors like that. And we want to grow the show. And we need your help in doing that. AWFpodcast.com. Everything is archived there. A lot of shows you can check out. All right, let's go to Washington. We have two people on our live line. We're checking in with the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Website, real simple, ifpte.org. This is a union of professional employees. We're talking uh, nonprofits. We're talking NASA rocket scientists, immigration judges, you name it. And uh, we have Matt Biggs joining us as president. He was elected president at the union's 60th Constitutional Convention, which was held in Washington, uh, let's see, in August of 2021. Also online is Gay Henson. And Gay was also at that convention, elected as secretary-treasurer. 
Matt Biggs, Gay Henson, welcome to America's Workforce. Matt, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, talk to me about your rise up the ladder and how you got involved with the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And th- thanks for having us. We really appreciate being on to, to have this opportunity to talk to your audience. Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you, I've, I've been a union member since since I pretty much started working uh, uh, in, in the when I was uh, uh, 16 years old uh, in the grocery business. Uh, uh, I was a member of UFCW. And in fact, I was a 17 year member of UFCW. Uh, if it weren't for that union, that union job in the grocery business, uh, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to college, right? So uh, it's the union that brought me to this to this point where I am now as president of IFPTE. But I've been at IFPTE since 2001. Uh, previous to that, I, I actually did work on Capitol Hill, um, but I came to IFPTE doing the legislative work as a legislative director and been a member of IFPTE Local 4, uh, which is out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and IFPT Local 196 out of New Jersey. So proud member of IFPT and, uh, uh, and, and you know, doing, doing the legislative work over the years. I was eventually uh, uh, ran for office, asked to, and ran for office in uh, 2018, became secretary-treasurer, and then, as you said, 2021, uh, fortunate enough to be elected president. So, so that's, that's what brought me here to IFPT, but uh, lifelong union member since since I was 16 years old. I'm 53 today. It's a long time. There you go. Hey, well, happy birthday to you, sir. Yes, yes. (laughs) I I see, too, on your bio, you've got some uh, political experience, and I I think anybody that's involved in labor, especially a leadership position, has to have some degree of political experience because I always say this on the show, Matt, and you know this all too well, elections matter. They really matter. Talk to me about your, your time on Capitol Hill. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I work for a congressman uh, out, of, out of Maryland, uh, Congressman Al Wynn. Um, uh, it represents a fourth district of Maryland right outside of Washington, D.C. You could probably throw a stone from Capitol Hill and hit, hit his district, you know. So so uh, but he uh, great labor supporter. And, and, you know, working on Capitol Hill, I had the opportunity to, uh, um, you know, handle labor issues, among others, and which were important to me and work with many members of Congress uh, that were pro-labor, uh, and, and one of them's right out of your area there, uh, Congressman Kucinich, uh, the former congressman, and, uh, you know, Congresswoman Marcy Kafter is another one uh, from Ohio, but just, just terrific labor supporters. But it is critical. I mean, IFPT, we're a union that represents private, public, and federal sector workers, um, and uh, any union, uh, it's a critical for any union uh, to have uh, good relationships uh, on Capitol Hill and within an administration, uh, because our jobs, particularly in the federal sector, are directly linked to what happens in Congress. So, so it's critically important we have a robust legislative uh, uh, operation, and we also do the politics, as you mentioned. We have a PAC, uh, we, and we endorse uh, candidates based on only their labor records, right? So, so it's mm-hmm. important we maintain that and keep an aggressive legislative and political program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want the right uh, politicians on your side. They're they're very important. They're very important. Gay, let's go to you. And uh, it's my understanding before you became secretary treasurer, you were employed as a health physicist. This was at a nuclear facility in the Tennessee Valley Authority. Can you uh, can you give us some more details on that, Gay? Yeah, I started uh, uh, my career at TVA as a, a health physics technician and then became a health physicist and then later 
you know, worked in project management to kind of help them schedule things the right way to keep dose low at the nuclear plant for the workers. Uh, that I worked at TVA, you know, 30-some-odd years. Uh, um, it, it, it's been a great job. I've been a union member the entire time. Um, I, I started probably getting really active in the union in the middle 90s. Uh, maybe early 90s, and uh, been involved ever since. I was their president for uh, 17 years of that local IFPT 1937. Mm-hmm. Um, so where are you originally from, Gay? I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Somehow I could tell that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, yeah I don't think I have an accent, but everybody says I do. So yeah, 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 yeah. I tell you, yeah, Tennessee, man. I tell you, it's shameful what happened in that state enshrining right to work in the Constitution. I mean, what what That's what weird. happened to Tennessee there, Gay? Well, I mean, it's been a right to work state for as long as I can remember, and. And there's just a real people don't understand what it's about. I mean, we try to get the message out. I did an op-ed in the in a local paper there, the uh, Chattanooga Times Free Press, and uh, uh, as many friends and 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 people I could reach out to 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 tell them to vote no on that amendment, it passed, you know, overwhelmingly. Uh, I don't know why they need to enshrine it in the Constitution since it's already been, you know, a law uh, mm-hmm. there, but it makes it even harder to ever change that uh, very disappointing in that, that that happened that way yes i'll tell you ed we were we were in tennessee last week at gay's local uh the, for their annual conference and uh uh yeah i i gave a little talk about the disappointment that 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 amendment uh passed but you know they 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 put and explained exactly what right to work means to to the union members there but um, you know they they put that they they put that ballot initiative right on the same Right, right there, right next to uh, another amendment that they were adding to their constitution to uh, outlaw slavery in the state. Now, how how alarming is that? That the p- politicians that be in in Tennessee, first of all, it should already be in the constitution outlawing slavery. That's the first thing. But yeah. you put you put you put union right to work right there with something like that. It's it's really just appalling that 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 happened. Mm-hmm. There, there were three amendments there, and, and people uh, were told, just vote yes to all three, you know, to uh-huh. abolish slavery, to allow a minister to run for office, which apparently that was illegal in Tennessee, and then uh, and then this right to work. So it was not, it was bad. It's a bad day for labor. Yeah, it, and it just shows you how much work that we have to do as union brothers and sisters to educate the voters so they know exactly what they're voting on. I'll tell you that that's a tough task, especially in the world today, because there's so many confusing messages and you throw social media in there and misinformation. And my gosh, it's, it's a total mess. It really is. Matt, if you don't mind, I want to switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about the union of the international federation of professional and technical engineers. And and many say, and you're probably in this category that it's the union for nerds because you're dealing with some, some NASA scientists here, professional engineers. And and I know, look, I'll be honest with, you i i took electrical engineering in college and i worked i was with a lot of nerds and i said i can't handle this i gotta go into radio so i i get that whole part i totally do so 
now are you offended by that kind of thing or you just embellish it what's the story oh not at all you know we we embrace it proudly and uh you know we are we are a proud affiliate of the afl cio in fact we have a seat on their executive council and uh Mm -hmm. and uh you know and, and and we 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 embrace that and uh uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you think about our membership. Most 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 of the public probably doesn't realize that, like you know, NASA scientists and engineers, uh, you know, some of the smartest people in the world are in in a union. We're the we're the biggest federal union at NASA. We represent eight thousand, uh, you know, engineers and, and scientists and technicians at all four of our public shipyards, uh, immigration judges, social security judges. Uh, we represent a lot of other lawyers. Also, legal aid at, at, at think tanks and things like that. And uh, like Gay said, Tennessee Valley Authority. Of course, we represent Boeing engineers and technicians uh, and some scientists out there, part of SPIA. So, yeah, no, you know, we, uh, we're, we're, proud, we're proud of that label, Ed, and uh, we embrace it. Well, let me throw this at you, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. When you talk about professional people, engineers, lawyers, and the like, typically they make a good buck, okay? And mm-hmm. many would probably come back and say, all right, uh, you, you must be doing good. you got to live a comfortable lifestyle. Why, why do you need a union? I, I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Oh, oh sure, absolutely. And, and, you know, we won't deny it. A lot, a lot of our members, uh, you know, they, they do make pretty good money. Um, but, you know, and, and, and wages are important, right? Uh, and we always right. fight to, 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 so that our people get paid a fair wage. But people don't join unions just for the money. Uh, they join they join unions for due process protections. They join unions to have a say in their work environment, to have a say in their professional development. Um, you know, you look you look throughout the tech industry now, where you know massive. Look at Twitter. Uh, just people are just shown the door unilaterally. They're basically at, they mm-hmm. are they're at will employees can be fired for any reason whatsoever. Well, if you're in a union, uh, you can't do that. Right? We have we have uh, bumping protections in our contracts. We have recall rights. Uh, you know, we have uh, due process protections when it comes to these things. So, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we represent professionals. We're proud to represent them. And, uh, you know, a lot of, yeah, they want good pay. They want pensions. They want a decent vacation. Um, but they also want to have a say in their, in their profession. They want to have a say in their workplace. Um, and they want to be able to contribute uh, work in collaboration with management, partnership, to give management their ideas on efficiencies in the workplace. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not just about the pay. Um, it's about all of those other things. Gay could probably add a lot to this too. Yeah. 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 Gay, if you don't mind, uh, if you can pick up on the safety aspect, because you worked in a nuclear facility, I'm sure that had to be a number one concern there. Yes. Yes, it is. Safety is the number one thing for all, all the workplace and unions are, are at the forefront of making sure that everybody has a place to work that they can go to and come home the same way they went in, doing well and not hurt, not injured. Uh, also, the general public, especially at a nuclear plant, your your whole the whole in culture of a nuclear work environment is to make sure that that uh, the the general public and the environment around the nuclear plant is safe at all times. And uh, we take it very very seriously. And unions are a part of that. Unions are a part of making sure that. Every agency in the federal government and all these other uh, public and private workplaces take serious, seriously the safety part of the job. And that's another really good reason for unions that hadn't been mentioned yet so far today, but until you just brought it up. But uh, it's very important. And, you know, a collaboration on how to do that better, to do the best you can 
safety-wise at any facility uh, makes a big difference for the workforce. We have two people joining us on our live line today. Matt Biggs is president of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, IFPTE.org is the website. Also joining Matt is Gay Henson, who serves as secretary-treasurer. Matt and Gay, I have a couple more questions. I want to talk about organizing. I want to talk about uh, union busting. There's a lot going on. Also, safety. I saw a story about the U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers. They, I guess they uh, had a plan to remove dam operators and have dams remotely controlled. You know, when you, when you do remote control and robotics, that kind of scares me. We'll talk about that next right here on America's Workforce. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up. And receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. Let's go back to Washington right now. We have Matt Biggs, president of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Joining Matt is Gay Henson, who serves as secretary-treasurer. And they were both elected to that position in August of 2021. Is that normal? Do you, you run a slate together? They don't have uh, separate elections on that? Is, that? is that par for the course, Matt? Well, yeah, technically they're separate elections, so we do them separate. But, but Gay and I do rerun as a slate. But, but yeah, we I, have to get elected separately. I got gotcha. you. Okay, sense. good. Yeah. And, and Gay, you like working with Matt, don't you? I love it. Matt's the best. I think he's one of the finest labor people that the country has. I really do. He's got connections everywhere, too. I know you're standing right next to him right now. I just had to ask that question just to to, have a a little fun here on the show. But my answer would be the same, even if he was out of the room. I got you. (laughs) I saw a story here. Uh, This was in uh, Wired Magazine about how your union is fighting the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. And I guess um, the plan is this, to remove dam operators and have dams remotely controlled from hundreds of miles away. And we're hearing about cyber attacks. I mean, they're, they're almost common 
scary to say that, but we have to we have to address what's you know going on in the real world today. So <laughs> I know everybody wants to save money. They'd say, "Oh, taxpayers save money. We can do this remotely." And I, I heard this conversation with the rail industry. You know, one person rail rail cars. Yeah. Uh huh. I get, yeah. Okay. We're not going to go down that road. What about what's going on over here? Tell me about uh, this. It, this is in. This plan is already in place. Is that my understanding or what? Yeah, it, it is. It is indeed in place and it, it is outrageous. Um, and, and, you know, the rail industry is what they're doing there is, is despicable and outrageous, quite frankly. Uh, that's a for profit industry. You look at the Army Corps of Engineers. It, we're talking about the federal government here, right? They're not in the business to make money. They're in the business to provide services to the taxpayer. And yet they're pursuing this ridiculous idea of controlling these facilities remotely from hundreds of miles away, as, as you indicated, as a cost savings measure. Um, and uh, it's only recently that they provided some transparency to it since we took the issue to Capitol Hill. Um, they were going to move forward full steam ahead and do it unilaterally. Um, so it's, 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 it's quite disturbing, and it's, it's a major issue for, for our union uh, that we have taken to, uh, to congressional lawmakers. Uh, they, they, should put, they should put a stop to this. It does create all sorts of uh, uh, potential major uh, problems, including uh, cyber attacks. Well, what are they saying right now? I mean, hasn't that alone caught their attention on Capitol Hill? I mean, that that could be a scary scenario here. Yeah, well, what they what they've done is uh, well, first of all, they're creating a self fulfilling prophecy. They what we found out speaking to our members is that they they are not hiring to fill open positions uh, at these facilities, and 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 they are stretching thin the few workers that are left at these facilities. And, and the reason why they're doing that is so they can uh, use the excuse that they can't hire the workers and they want to do these things remotely. So, so that's, that, that's what they're doing. And secondly, they, they haven't been transparent with Hill lawmakers. They haven't told them what their plans are. Their original plan was they were going to do uh, one facility, use it as kind of like a, uh, uh, you know, just a sample case and see how it worked and then move on. Uh, now we find out that they their plan is to do it uh, do it wholesale. So I assume this is something that's active right now, and you're you're trying to get some resolve in in the Congress on it. Yes, yes, we're trying to you know we're trying to get Congress interested in it. I mean, they just did a water bill, water resources bill, uh, which oversees the Ar- Army Corps, which is an authorization bill for the Army Corps. Um, but we're also pursuing asking Congress to defund any further implementation of that. That means take money away out of the appro- – just a line in an appropriations bill that says none of the funds in this act shall be used uh, for, you know, for remote operation moving forward. Um, so so we're, we're approaching it that way. We haven't – quite frankly, we haven't uh, gotten much traction in Congress yet. It's been quite disappointing. And, uh, but, you know, we're hopeful, we're hopeful to continue to work with Congress um, and encourage them to do the right thing here and force the Army Corps to reverse course. If you don't mind, I'd like to switch gears here a little bit and talk about organizing at nonprofits. And we've done a couple of shows on this in the past year, and I, I see a growth in this sector. And I'm seeing that uh, you've organized you know, places like the Economic Policy Institute, great organization there, Center for American Progress, ACLU. Uh, Gay, if you don't mind to chime in on this one, is this a, a different kind of organizing? I mean, nonprofits, you've got 
people that really enjoy the work. I mean, they're almost like married to their work. They want to make a difference. But again, I mean, they're still workers. There's still issues. Can you talk uh, to us about organizing these nonprofits and the challenges that you've faced uh, over the years? Yes, I sure can. You know, uh, not-for-profit employers, you know, they can sometimes be difficult and even anti-union at times. It, it, it seems like that wouldn't be the case, but it kind of, it kind of is. Uh, but I think that what's happening is, especially with the younger population that are, that are, are after that dream of, of making a difference in the world and trying to do something really, you know, spectacular that changes things for other people, makes things a better life for people, which is what a lot of these nonprofits do. I think they they realize that they need a voice at work, and that and that's different than well, the pay is also always a part of it. Uh, and for them, safety is important, but not as, not the same as a nuclear plant facility. But so what they want is to work collaboratively with their management to to come up with ways to make things better for their not just for their career, but for that whatever group they're working with. Like to to have a voice there that makes a difference. Uh, and they find that to come in together as a union, they're able to solidify their ideas into a more concise package and share that with management. And uh, it, 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 it's just a, it's, it's really a new thing, uh, I think. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you've got Meta, you've got Amazon, you've got all these people. They're seeing what's happening there and seeing what's happening at Starbucks. I think, you know, tech workers and, and not-for-profits both are, are, are turning to unions so they can have a better voice. Gay, if you don't mind, uh, you mentioned union busting, and I saw a story about the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Now, here's an organization that defends the rights of animals, but they decided to hire a union-busting law firm to try to break the union. So I, I guess they, they care about animals, but, well, we're all animals, but <laughs> they care about the furry ones, but not the people that do the work. Can you tell us what's going on over there? Well, it's a ridiculous trend that that's happening there. Um, uh, it's it, it's amazing to me, but uh, just what I was saying a minute ago, uh, you wouldn't think that not for profits would be anti-union, but in a lot of cases they are. Very difficult sometimes, even at the bargaining table. Once we do have a union set, coming up with the first contract can be one of the hardest things. Sometimes taking a year or more to get done. Uh, it's it's not unusual. You want to add anything to that? Yeah, that, that's true. And I mean, like the yeah, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, it's it's terrible. I mean, yeah, they're 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 you know a progressive nonprofit. Look out for the rights of animals, but they want to screw their their workers over. <laughs> they go out and do something like a Walmart would do or a Boeing, and hire a yeah. union busting law firm to come in and scare the workers into a point where they uh, will vote against the union. And then and then like Gay says, if we do get a vote for the union, then some of these groups they. Uh, they drag their feet and try and delay in in, 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 in achieving a first contract. So it's, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of these nonprofits are fine, but a lot of them you think you're dealing with like, you know, uh, Bezos, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with the union, union, union busters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They spend yeah. millions of dollars a day trying to bust yeah. the union. And yeah, it, yeah, it's horrible what's going on. You, you, you know, you would think they would use some of that money and pay their workers better. You would think, yeah. but that's not the case. Yeah. Right. A lot of not-for-profits don't pay their workers very well either. That's another issue that we've seen. We've been working with the local unions to overcome and, and have made some strides. So, 
Matt, if you don't mind, and, and Gay talked about Meta and a couple of these uh, tech giants. Meta, of course, is the parent company of Facebook. I kill, still can't uh, get used to that name, but uh, organizing in the tech sector. And we've seen, and I, I said this on the show so many times, the pandemic has changed everything. You, you know, workers today are very upset. They, well, they want they want better wages, but they want a work-life environment. They want some time off. They want, in some cases, uh, child care. Many cases, they need child care, uh, parental leave, things of that nature. And uh, it, it's still a hard bargain, a real, st- real hard bargain. Uh, what do you see? What do you see in 2023 as far as, uh, I mean, the last couple of years have changed things. We got a labor-friendly NLRB. What's uh, what's your take on the future here? Well, I mean, you know, if, as, as labor unions, as a, a labor union, you know, that, that organizes and wants to organize in the, in the tech industry, um, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, now, you know, organizing in this country is difficult. The, the labor laws in this country are not set up to benefit unions. They benefit the employer. That's period. But we have a very labor friendly president. We have a secretary of labor that is implementing the president's directive of trying to grow, uh, going around the country, trying to implement that directive of growing union membership in this country. We, we need to grow union density. So we applaud the Biden administration and Secretary Walsh and the president immensely. Um, best labor president I think we'll ever have. Um, but now it's our job in labor to go out and organize them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, IFPTE, we're not the biggest union in the world. We don't have all the resources in the world compared to, you know, some other groups, certainly compared to the Amazons, right? Uh, we don't have resources to compete with them, but but we 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 do we do have a, uh, a mandate uh, to go out and organize in the tech sector, in the private sector, and we 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 work we pick our targets very strategically um, uh, because of limited resources and because of what we're going to be up against. Um, but yeah, I think you know not just IFPT, but throughout the labor movement. The environment is ripe for organizing, and it is, uh, it's incumbent upon labor to get out there and go grow, uh, you know, grow union density in this country. And, I, 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 you know, as a union president here and a member of the AFL Executive Council, um, I'm saying that, but I know all, all, of, all of our labor leadership colleagues around the country, around the labor, I believe, feel the exact same way. Gay, I'm going to throw this question to you. Uh, I see right now you have uh, 90,000 members at the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Where would you like to see that number? I know there's a lot of organizing going on. you got to have some goals in mind. What's your thoughts? Well, we, it's funny. We were talking about it at lunch, Matt and I, and uh, I think, you know, I think we could up our membership by 15% over the next year. There's a lot of opportunities. The not-for-profits are just that's a hot commodity right there. Everybody's wanting to get in uh, to a union, and I think these tech workers want to get in a union. I'm not. Uh, I think that the the fact that the crazy one crazy rich guy can fire people on a whim, as what is what happened, um, you know, with Twitter. I think that shocked the that's shocked a lot of people, uh, sure. and and so I think that 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 just burns a fire under people to, to decide that they need to take matters of, of, of their workplace in their own hands and get and get get involved with the union. Uh, we're just better together than we are all by ourselves. So I, I think 15% is a good number, um, and we might could do better than that even. I think Canada, I know that's uh, just right up the hill from us here, but it's growing like crazy too. 
So well, I don't think it's <laughs> different labor different labor laws in Canada, right, Matt? <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we, we do travel to Canada a lot to meet with our, our locals. And, you know, we talk to them. We were talking about right to work earlier. Well, we, talk, we told them about right to work up there, and they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. But, yeah. But we need to organize here in this country and, uh, and uh, all of labor, particularly when we have this administration and that encourages uh, the organizing. The time is now. No doubt about that. Yeah. Well, Matt and Gay, thank you so much for joining us today. Matt Biggs, president of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, and Gay Henson, serving as secretary-treasurer. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you on our, our podcast, ifpte.org. Let's, let's do this again down the road. How's that sound? Yeah, thank you, Ed. Really thank appreciate you. being on your show. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Bill Spriggs will be joining us, professor, former chair of the Department of Economics at Howard University, also chief economist of the AFL-CIO. You're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Well, today is the day... We celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And for the past uh, couple of days, there's been a lot of events happening in Washington, D.C. and all around the country to talk about Dr. Martin Luther King and what he meant to civil rights and also labor rights. It's important that the two are intertwined, and that's what he professed so many times back in the late 50s and early 60s. In fact, the day before he died. He met with the striking sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. Let's go back to that time. Joining us on our live line right now is Bill Spriggs. Mr. Spriggs is a professor, former chair of the Department of Economics at Howard University. He's been on the show a number of times. He serves as chief economist to the AFL-CIO. In that role with the Labor Federation, he chairs the Economic Policy Working Group for the Trade Union Advisory Committee to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development and serves on the board of the National Bureau of Economic Research. Dr. Spriggs, I uh, checked you out on Wikipedia. You're a few years younger than I. I, I want to go back to the date, April 4th, 1968. 
the day that Dr. King was assassinated. Can you uh, take us back to that time? Uh, Like I said, you were a few years younger than I, but I'm sure that burned a memory into you, and it probably made you the person that you are today. Can you uh, can you talk about that, Dr. Spriggs? Well, uh, at the time I was in middle school, so yes, I was very much aware of the assassination. That day, Dr. King was actually scheduled to be where I was living at the time in Norfolk, Virginia. He was planning, he was in the middle of planning the Poor People's March. He had a campaign that he had been organizing to lift the voices of economic inequality in the United States. And he had several speeches on that schedule to organize the minister for my church, um, Joseph Green, who was the rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Norfolk, was playing a huge role in organizing the Poor People's Campaign. And Dr. King agreed to go back to Memphis. There had been a demonstration that had turned violent in a previous march he led in support of the striking workers. And he was urged to come back in order to show that he could do a peaceful demonstration. So, yes, I I was very aware of everything that surrounded what was going on at the time. And, of course, everyone was struck by the tragedy. But I was also old enough to remember the assassination of President Kennedy. So I think in many ways I had a jaded view of how America worked. Well, you think about 1968, the assassination of uh, Dr. King, couple months later, Bobby Kennedy. Then we had the Democratic National Convention. We had rioting there. I mean, we were torn apart as a nation, really torn apart. We And plus, you got the Vietnam War. So we had a war abroad and a war at home. Well, you fast forward, here we are 55 years later, and we take a look at America. We're, we're still torn apart. It's scary. I mean, there's many that say that, especially with the divide in our political system that we're we we're facing a civil war of sorts in some some of the states where there's no question about that i'm just wondering here <laughs> i'm sure you've been asked this before when you when you take a look at the legacy of dr king and you saw and heard what he preached you know, you wonder how far have we really come i'm sure you've talked about that over the years haven't you well he would know that we've come a long way but the willingness for people of good moral character to fight is what I think we're missing. We allow people who parade around and profess that somehow or another they're Christian. I don't think the Christian part follows from the word Jesus Christ, but they pretend that they are Christian. And we and as a nation, see to them some moral authority they do not have, and then compare the moral authority that Dr. King claimed. Because understand the revolution that he led was nonviolent, 
he professed so much faith that he would face people with bayonets, billy clubs, dogs, hoses, armed with the Bible. That's how much faith he had. His moral authority rested in that faith. Mm-hmm. So the difference today is the cowardice in my view, the cowardice of those who are real Christians and the face of people who I think Jesus Christ would have a very hard time recognizing what they were. He'd have a hard time understanding how do you profess to be my follower because you have love for no one. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the intersection of uh, labor rights and civil rights and uh, Dr. King said many things about uh, about labor and the labor movement back in the back in the 60s. In fact, I want to quote him right here. This is why Negroes support labor's demands and fight laws which curb labor. This is why the labor hater and labor baiter is virtually always a twin-headed creature spewing anti-Negro epithets from one mouth and anti-labor propaganda from the other mouth. And he talked about the fact that uh, Negroes are almost entirely a working people. They are pitifully few Negro millionaires, a few Negro employers. Our needs are identical with labor's needs, decent wages, fair working conditions, livable housing, old age security, health and welfare measures, conditions to which families can grow, have education for their children, and respect for the community. (laughs) Mr. Spriggs, this is the stuff we're talking about today. Talking about today. Um, my question here, is labor strong enough today, in your opinion? I, I, you've been with the AFL-CIO for a long time. Uh, you mentioned about the challenges and the fact that we, uh, you know, we, we had a movement back then. The movement today, I mean, we're seeing a lot of organizing, let's be honest. We're seeing young people get involved in, in unions at a record number. Just, I'm wondering, though, is it strong enough? Can, can we get over the hump here and and achieve near equality in America today with uh, with everything that's going on what's your opinion on that well it's a huge challenge it's a it's a tremendous challenge that we face the legacy of that division that dr king spoke of that those who speak against labor are the same people who speak against civil rights is more manifest, I believe, than back then. The states in the South are peculiarly divided from the rest of America. These are the states that did not expand Medicaid in response to the Affordable Care Act, so they did not grant their citizens who were working people, affordable access to health care. These are the states that continue to be right-to-work states that deny unions the fair support from their members to represent those workers. These are the states that continue to have 725 as their minimum wage while the rest of the nation has moved on to $15 an hour. 
These are the same states that make it the most difficult to access unemployment benefits. These are the same states that have the fewest labor inspectors in order to enforce labor laws. There's, there, there, there is no way to clearly say, well, are these states acting because they're the states that have the largest percentage black workforces, or are these states that hate all workers? You just can't tell the difference. And unfortunately, that philosophy has marched its way way into northern states that we thought once were safe from these kind of things. You know, we still have states like Pennsylvania where it's a hard fight to get above 725 an hour. In Ohio, it was a hard fight to get a minimum wage increase. I mean, this idea that workers are a permanent different class than everyone else and that we don't have to recognize the dignity of work. These ideas persist today and create the big divide that we see today. Yes, sadly, you've probably heard this many, many times that often people vote against their own interests. And it's sad that that's like that. But uh, we're so confused by the political ads today, the promises that politicians say they're, what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. But they don't do it. They just don't do it. But we just got to keep fighting. You got to keep your head up and move forward. That's, that's all we can do. And I'm sure Dr. King would say the same thing on the day that we celebrate his birthday. William Spriggs, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate your insight, and I do appreciate Everything that you've done over the years, we should point out that uh, from 2009 to 2012, William Spriggs served as Assistant Secretary for the Office of Policy at the Department of Labor. He was appointed by President Barack Obama and confirmed by the U.S. Senate. I'll tell you, that's, that's quite an honor. So thank you for your service to our, uh, our country. Let's uh, let's talk down the road, okay? Let's let's make life better for everybody, okay? Absolutely for everybody. Well, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow we'll check in with the Ohio Federation of Teachers and the latest from the heat and frost insulators. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.